Welcome to BAFTA's Heritage Podcast, featuring monthly conversations on films, TV programs and games recognized by the Academy since 1947. Find out more about how BAFTA has been celebrating and inspiring creative excellence at BAFTA.org forward slash heritage. <laughs> well, this is quite a motley crew we have today. <laughs> 40 years on. Um, yes. I am... <laughs> Sorry, Bonnie's about to walk out now. And... No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> She's still the diva. I'm just... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm walking out. Yeah. And then I'm going to walk back in again. <laughs> um, we have to say, we, we have to... Bonnie is literally hot fussed to hear him from the set of EastEnders. Yes. And Donald's just come here from his other job as well. And Paul's... So everybody... And, um, Andy uh, is, on, is in casualty at the moment over in Cardiff. So, you know, to get everybody here has been, you know, really fantastic. So it's really exciting you're all here with us. Um, I'm going to start off just to begin with just talking to Alan a little bit, and I'm going to come on to the other guys in a moment. So if I'm right, Francis Ford Coppola once said to you that to make a film like this could only really have happened at the start of somebody's career in terms of yeah. the, you know, what you tried to achieve with it being kids and the kind of innocence of the project. Could you just maybe just talk a little bit about that? Uh, no, what he actually said was, you must have been nuts. <laughs> <laughs> because at the beginning of a career where you don't really know anything, you kind of tried different things, really. We were desperate to get uh, in the film industry at a time in, in Britain where it was very depressed. So I wrote this thing, trying to just find some little avenue through there, and, uh, and it got made. But, uh, yeah, it's weird. I mean, the whole notion of trying to make a film with kids, all of the difficulties that come with that, the more you know. If I'd have done it, like, say, 20 years later, I would have thought, no, nah, it's not going to work. But when you don't know anything, that's what happens. You do quite original and fresh work, really. And David, at the very, very start in his introduction, touched on the fact that you were all of a kind of light mind, that at this point, the British industry, you know, the British film industry was not in great shape. And you kind of, you know, sort of kind of put your hat in the ring, in a sense. And can you just tell us a little bit about sort of um, you know, making that move from kind of TV and adverts into film? Well, the great advantage of doing television commercials, first of all, there was no film industry. So you couldn't really... There was a TV industry, which we were not part of, which was, you know, BBC and ITV were these citadels where you were not... Before it broke open and you were able to make films for them, uh, at the time you weren't. It was all done in-house. So we were kind of just a world of making TV commercials. The great advantage of TV commercials is it was quite lucrative and we actually were quite good at it. And so we had made enough money... We, we, we prepared this film for a whole year and I did the whole casting paid for by making commercials, basically. And, you, uh, went all over, you, you went to America, you, yeah. you spent a whole year looking around the UK. Before we had a penny to make the film, yeah. We, and I would come back, we'd make a few more commercials and it would pay for a bit more money to make the thing. Even making the film, when we were preparing it, we built the whole street scene, which had to be... The street had to be inside the studio rather than as an exterior street because we had a whole lot of night shooting and with kids that would, you know, would be prohibitive with the number of hours we could film. Yeah. So we had to make it inside the studio. And we, we, we could afford the whole one side of the studio and also we wanted to put it up all on rostrums so we could have smoke coming up through the... Uh, steam coming up through the, through the, through the grates. And... Uh, we couldn't afford it, so we went off again halfway through. Uh, Alan Marshall and I, the producer, and we made about five or six commercials, and then that paid for the other side of the street. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it, it's the only way to do it because Rank certainly weren't going to give us any money, and uh, they were the main. Uh, and Rank were the studio, really. So Rank, all where they were interested in was getting their money back because they they, ha they owned Pinewood Studio, so they were incredibly unhelpful, actually. But, um, um, yeah, it was yeah, not an easy film to make. We're, we're going to come to the British casting in a moment, but can you just tell us a little bit about you know, Jodie Foster, Scott Bayo, the guys who you found over in the States and how you found them? <clears throat> well, first of all, I, went, I saw everybody here. I went to every stage school, which they represented here, probably, uh, and uh, in Britain. I went to every Air Force base in this country um, to look at all the American kids because uh, there's lots of American schools at the Air Force bases. That was how you found Blousey, wasn't it? Blousey came from that, and, other, and a couple of other kids came from that. But, uh, and then I went, to, I went to New York, and I did a whole lot of casting where we found Scott, actually, Scott Bio, who plays Bugsy. I also went to schools in, 
Brooklyn and the Bronx, and, I, and in Brooklyn, I went to a school where I, I said to the kids, who's the naughtiest kid in the class? And they all went, you know, jo Johnny Cassisi. And so he became Fat Sam. And uh, he's now in prison, I'm being told. <laughs> yes, yeah. How pathetic it turned out to be. I know. This was just, Dexter had just whispered this to me. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, talk about, uh, not exactly casting against Ty. You cast the guy there, that was your fault. He was a very sweet kid before. He that. was lovely. Yeah. He was in, At an early age, you saw his potential. No, he was, he, his dad, you know, he was an Italian kid from Brooklyn who was in the construction business, so I guess it was a bit of a diversion to come to Pinewood to make the movie. <laughs> he had another career planned out for him. Jodie already had a career, didn't she? Jodie, you know, I saw Jodie in Los Angeles, uh, and uh, I met her, and uh, uh, I was... Uh, told I, I'd seen some work that she'd done, and uh, uh, so we met. And she said, I'm, "I don't know if I want to do this film in England," she said, "because I'm so excited, because I'm working with a proper director, uh, Ma Marty Scorsese." I said, "Oh yes, yeah. I, uh, um, I'm, I'm about to go to New York to make a film called Taxi Driver," and I said, "Oh, that sounds, you know, rubbish." <laughs> and, uh, so she got, she finished Taxi Driver, and she got on an airplane. And she came uh, to Pinewood, and uh, we we cut her hair and, and changed her hair from taxi because her hair, she had exactly the same haircut that she has in Taxi Driver when she arrived. And uh, her mother was furious that we cut her hair, and, and so we locked her out of the room when they cut the hair and dyed it quite differently to how it was. And uh, but uh, yeah, Jodie was. Uh, these guys will tell you more than me because they work with her. But uh, she was the only real, she was a real pro right from the moment. You know, she'd made more movies than me. And so uh, <laughs> I would, I remember one point I said, uh, you know, I, someone said, Where, what, where's the eye line? Is it bottom right or top? I said, uh, no, I think it's bottom right. She went, no, top left. <laughs> and I said, uh, and we worked it out and went, yes, top left. <laughs> and uh, she was so much smarter than we were. But, uh, and then she's gone on to a wonderful career, obviously. You, um, you upset Dexter's mum, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Not no. a good idea. No, <laughs> not a good idea. What happened was that uh, uh, they had these terrible haircuts and uh, most of them put up with it. But Dexter arrived and uh, he had the worst haircut of all. And uh, it was like, it was, it was dreadful, wasn't yeah, it? Really? it was yeah. And uh, his mum was so furious. She, she demanded Alan Marshall, she stormed into the production office and she, she demanded a wig. <laughs> and so we gave him a wig. Which he's still wearing. <laughs> I'll pass it down. No, no. So this, right. this, this wig was so phony, it was terrible. And tell what happened when you... Well, I, yeah, I don't know why she made me wear it to school. So, I had to, so she, it was weird. She got, I don't know what she got a bit, such a bee in her bonnet about. Anyway, you know, I had to, and I wore it to school, and after about 10 minutes, I was sitting at the back of the class, spinning it round on my head like this, because I was quite, you know, prone to the odd showing-off moment. And so he sent me to school with a wig on, and I'm, yeah, I'm pulling it off and doing tricks with it and spinning it and wearing it backwards. So I didn't wear it for very long, obviously, but... Uh, yeah. Well, well, I'm going to ask you kind of in turn, if that's because we've got so many of you, it's going to be difficult to do it otherwise. Maybe starting with Dex and kind of moving down. Um, just to kind of just tell us a little bit um, just about, first of all, where uh, Alan found you in terms of what you were doing at the point when um, he brought you in or, or about anything you can remember about the audition process. Um, should we just start off with that? OK, uh, well, I, I think I was in a fairly big group audition. Uh, there was a few of us who went to one particular uh, drama club in Islington. And was Graham your brother with you Graham at the same time? Graham and, yeah. and Andrew was there as well. Uh, there, was a, there was a few others in the film and, and Alan turned up with a big video camera. Yeah. Um, Gave me hernia, that camera. Yeah. <laughs> it was big. He said it was the size of a small car. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, we all had to do a scene when Blousey and, 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 and Bugsy meet for the first time. Um, uh, when he said, what you got in here, library, an old library or something? And yeah. you know, yeah, anyway, that scene. Uh, and you videoed us and, and somehow you suddenly got a call and you, and you had to go. And my first day on set when I went to get this now infamous haircut um, <laughs> was I, I, I stood at the side of the set and I watched Vivian dance. 
it was it was the day that you were shooting yeah. that dance and number and song, and I remember standing there at the speakeasy going, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And then going out through the stairs into the bookstall and looking in the street, and and it was all there. And I was like, "Oh, I'm in a musical." Cause there was this amazing dancing and song going on, you know. Uh, and Paul, what about you? Um, I was in the audience. Um, as a part of a TV program uh, on London Weekend Television with Michael Weil. And I was sitting virtually behind Sir Alan, and um, I think I was minding my own business, listening, and he, he was asking for um, anyone who would be interested to come down for the audition. Um, and at the end of it, he turned around and he looked at me, said, would you be interested? I said, ah. <laughs> Hard to get, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. But he said, Why? To my agent, yeah. <laughs> to my agent. No, he said, Why? I says, Well, I'm going to be away from my family. I don't want that. And he was like, mm, No, it's not like that. And, um, and then he convinced me to go to um, have a, a screen test with another colleague from school. And we went there. We had so much fun just being in front of the camera and laughing and joking and, and just doing things where we. You, you wouldn't think about that this is to see if you're able to um, be in front of the camera. And then he said, right, I'd like for you to come to an audition at Bowwater House. Um, and then that was daunting. Because you know, there'd be a lot of people like this, and they've got their agents and managers coat over the arm, and, <laughs> and I'm sitting there with my dad like, what are we meant to do? <laughs> you know, and then you get called in, you read... Bugsy's part, you read Leroy's part, um, and then you think to yourself, oh, okay. And you're about to leave, and they measure your head, your neck, <laughs> you know, just you all get measured up. And then you think, hmm, maybe, <laughs> you know. But the thing about um, being away from the family uh, was worked out that I got picked up in the morning and taken to Pinewood Studios every day. The sounds of the birds, not used to it. <laughs> Bonnie, what about you? Well, I only did about three days on the film. And the first day that I did was um, on the set, um, and it was a dream sequence that got cut. But I just remember it being unbelievably hot. You cut but Bonnie? You cut me, yes. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay, I've never forgotten. Do you want forgotten. to cut Bonnie Langford? And then I thought I was going to go somewhere really exciting <laughs> for a location. And I ended up in Richmond Theatre. Now, <laughs> I first performed in Richmond Theatre when I was three months old because my mum used to do her dancing school shows there, so I was terribly disappointed <laughs> that I was going to somewhere that I'd already been to. But anyway, I then had to... <laughs> we then had to... Um, they then made my hair massive. It was just... I had all these little ringlets, and it was just... They just pulled it all apart, and I had this massive hair and this tiny little body. And, um, and then, they, then they plucked my eyebrows, and they've never grown back. <laughs> I'm just saying that now. They've never grown back. It's all your fault. There's a legal action. <gasps> I just have to get that out. <laughs> what? There's a lawsuit there waiting. Yeah, happen, there's just there? a lawsuit waiting, but you know, whatever. Um, and, um, and then I, I did a scene, and uh, most of it was sort of improvised, wasn't it, Alan? You used to say, yeah. I'll say something like this and say something like that. And so I had to do all this... Um, you know, Oscar, Oscar. <laughs> and, the, and Oscar was played by uh, Mark Curry and Kathy Apanovich was his assistant, who I'd also known since I was about six. So yeah. this was a very familiar surrounding. There wasn't anything sort of glamorous about it for me at this point. And then we went and we took a lunch break. And when I came back, um, Alan presented me with a song and said, um, we've written this in the pub in the lunch break. Would you be singing, <laughs> would you <laughs> sing it? in the background of this scene. So I did. <laughs> so actually, I'm the only one who sang live in the film. So, yeah. yeah quite like. Before I move on to Donald, um, you just mentioned then Mark Curry. Um, yes. He also really wants to be here tonight, but he's playing the uh, wizard in Wicked at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So he can't be like, I have got something I'm going to read because he just wants to share a memory. Uh, so Mark says, after the initial total shock of having my 1975 long hair turned into a 1920s short back and sides, <laughs> being in Bugsy was great fun. So they all remember the hairdos. Yes. Um, mixing with the American kids was wild at times. We drove our chaperone to drink. 
<laughs> but whilst filming, we could tell this was going to be something special. My scene as Oscar was totally improvised, yes. and Alan really encouraged us to go for it. Yes. It's just wonderful to be a small part of such a classic movie. Yes. All the cast are brilliant, and Alan is a genius. Yes. So sorry I can't be there tonight to give a little love. Oh, oh. very nice. Donald, so you were Snake Eyes. I was Snake Eyes, and um, I, as a child, I had no aspirations to do any acting or performing. I can't even remember how we connected for the auditions, but I remember being given a script to read, and I read it really, really badly. Uh, being given a song to sing, I sang that really badly, and then left it alone and thought nothing would happen. And then a few months later, um, I get uh, a call saying that we'd like to offer you the part of uh, Snake Eyes. Uh, it's really interesting with um, this industry because even as a child, the smell, the feel, the touch, being at Pinewood, actually wandering around and seeing like bits of chitty chitty bang bang, the car, uh, you know, hung up or, you know, uh, I think they were filming the slipper and the rose and um, rollerball or whatever. Rollerball. Yeah. There was so much happening and it was just like a child in a candy shop. But I had this instinctive feeling that I was part of something that was really magical. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting, Alan was saying about um, uh, trying to create the commercials to raise money for the film. When you are young and bright and ambitious and full of energy, you just go for it. And that's what I did. But working on the movie, uh, connecting with people like Bonnie, I think when I first met Bonnie, I was kind of starstruck. And as a child, I said to her, and I remember in the canteen saying, I want to, I want to marry you. <laughs> and I remember, and I remember her mother saying, not unless you've got lots and lots of money. Uh, it, it was also very interesting. Alan uh, touched on Jodie Foster, because we were all sort of uh, British kids, and uh, some kids were from stage schools and so on. And I was completely, you know, just from a, a, a working class uh, family living in Tottenham. But when I watched Jodie Foster work sometimes, mm. it just absolutely freaked me out. She was so cool, mm. so calm, in control. Alan sometimes, if she got something slightly wrong, would shout at her, and she, it, her attitude was like, oh, just get over it or whatever, you know? <laughs> she was like really, really cool. But that experience of being in Bugsy Malone, and I mean, God knows, Alan must have been pulling his hair out left, right, and center, because, you know, my eye lines were all over the place. Uh, the, the only sort of uh, blessing that I had, I love dancing, I love movement. So the whole kind of, uh, uh, anything to do dance or movement, I kind of levitated to that. So that kind of helped me. But I just knew I was doing something that was really, really special. And to think, all these years later, you know, if I connect with anyone and you just mention Bugsy Malone, mm. it just opens the doors for you. It's absolutely amazing. Don't you find that young people, though, if you say that you were in Bugsy Malone, they look at you with this, like, wow. you're just really weird because you're old. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because when I say to people, uh, I was in Bugsy Malone, they say, yeah, 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 uh, the stage, but no, no, the film. The film. <laughs> the film, you know. It just changed my life. And there's been a few times within my life where you've done something and you instinctively know, you can feel, smell, touch, that it's something that's special. It happened in Bugsy Malone. It happened in Grange Hill, when I did Grange Hill, and it also happened in Cats. And you know, you know when there's something magical. So I better shut up now, because I'll yeah, go on and on, on and on and on. <laughs> Thank you. You've basically said everything that I've yeah. oh, no. You weren't in Cats. <laughs> I was. Bonnie was. <laughs> you were. These two we were together. <laughs> no, um, I, I'm really impressed with all your memories of the sort of long protracted uh, casting sessions. I, I remember the, 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 the day at, uh, in the, was it Bowwater House, did you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, Knightsbridge. Knightsbridge. It seemed to go on forever and ever and ever. But um, like Donald said, you knew, because I was 14 when we did the film and I knew nothing about nothing. But when I turned up on, on that set at Pinewood, sort of paralysed by my own excitement, if you like, you knew that this was some, this, you were in something that it was going to be special. And, it, and it's, it's not hindsight telling you that. It, it, you really felt that. Uh, and I, I just then... It's just so proud to have been part of something that is a piece of iconic cinema. And 
and it's it's only nights like tonight that's so lovely to be reminded of that, uh, and it's just so lovely to to see everyone and to yeah. and to share and to celebrate in in in, in this wonderful movie. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. What about you? Are you all right down there? Uh, yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Um, Excuse me. Okay. Don't crack uh, your knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> I do, you know. Um, I was 16 when I did the film. I was the second oldest. Martin Lev, who played Dandy Dan, was 17. Um, I had a wonderful three and a half, nearly four months on the film, including about six weeks before we even started shooting. Every dance sequence was rehearsed for six weeks beforehand. Um, of course, Donald was the proper dancer among us, as you probably <laughs> noticed. <laughs> but uh, had a wonderful, wonderful time. The summer of 75 was just amazing. Oh. It was just warm, it was hot, but it was just an amazing film to do. Uh, to find, to, to be able to do that from start to finish and see how a film is made, put together, but the set alone wandering onto that set and thinking, you're transported to New York. It, it was just amazing. I was at stage school at the time. I'd been there for five years. I went to full-time stage school when I was 11. As I said, I was cast at 16. Alan came down, saw the whole school, about 300 of us. So I thought, there's no way I'm going to get anything. About four aud- sets of auditions later, I realized that I had the part. I had the script only about two weeks before the film, and the script was basically as nearly as you see it on the film. The lines were the same, and one came out of Alan's head, Sir Alan's head, a year, year and a half, two years before. It doesn't happen like that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Vivian? You know, I, do you know what? I don't actually remember auditioning for the film at all. That's because they gave it to you. They gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you weren't quite good. Yeah. Well, uh, but I, I basically, I started dancing. My mum took me to a local dancing school at the age of two. Um, and then I was... I, went, I joined the Royal Ballet School at the age of eight, nine, where I met Bonnie, where we were in the same class. Uh, I never went on to be a ballerina, obviously. Um, and I think what was happening at the time was that Sir Alan was going up and down the country and they just were looking for schools. But I was actually working already with... I was kind of a dance protégé at the age of nine. And I was working all over Europe with Gillian Gregory and Matt Mattox, who's... Yeah. A, who's um, a uh, very, very famous jazz choreographer from Seven Brides and Seven Brothers. He is. I mean, many, many, long time ago. Um, so I never actually auditioned for the film. And all I just remember is Gillian saying to me, oh, you're going to be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I was in the film. And it was absolutely, I mean, we were all kids. So it was, you know, what kids are like. It was fantastic. It was a party every day. Mm. Everybody helped out. My mum was a chaperone at some point. I think your mum probably was. Yeah, um, there were, like Sarah was saying, we, you know, times when there was no money. Um, they'd obviously run out of money. Everybody pulled in, yeah. as far as I remember, and it was absolutely fantastic. And one of the things I do remember is just feeling so good about just being there and actually being around the, the adults, if, if you like, at the time. Um, and also talking about hairstyles. If you remember in the film, I had this, oh, I hated it. I absolutely hated this thing with this thing at the side. But now when I look back, obviously someone had done their research and that was the style of the yeah, time. And I just hated it. And I remember sitting there and them doing it, but um, it was, you know, it was brilliant. I can still smell the stage now. And it was obviously a long time ago, but it's followed me around everywhere that I've been, every, you know, if it's an ordinary office job, wherever, somebody will come up to me and say, I heard you were in the film Bugsy Malone. Yeah. And it just follows you around yeah, anywhere. Um, don't you think that's because there was never any reference to the fact that everyone was under the age of 17, 18? And that there was no reference and the whole thing had that innocence and that charm, but it wasn't going, hey, we're doing this because we're young. Isn't it cute? No, no, it was, we, it it was, was an adult cute. film, It wasn't really. trying to be cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was an adult film and it was an adult story. What but what was also mm-hmm. interesting, even though they were all adults, everyone was incredibly sophisticated. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You know, you can't, you, Alan couldn't get away with making that kind of film now. No because you've got health and safety. But when I look back, I mean, even... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We had 
digging. Oh, with all that really sexy gear, you know, at the age of yes. nine, some of us ten, eleven, yeah. twelve. When I when I look Hot at not me. Have we still um, have we got the roving mic somewhere? Um, has somebody got a roving mic somewhere? Oh yeah. I'm just going to just um, can we just pop down to the front and I'm just going to get a quick uh, moment from Nick and Graham just in terms of their memory as we've got them here oh, yeah. and be good to find out. And so Nick's got a splurge so on his lap. You were we're, we're, we're going to come to that in a moment. Is that um, from, is but it Nick, you were you were in the boxing scene. I was in, in the boxing scene and the down and out scene. Okay. I was, I was, and have lived on this for 40 years. I was third punch bag, brown vest, green shorts. Ooh, that's fast. Can you punch in a word like a hummingbird's wing if you need to? Cut to me, ooh, that's fast. And I've loved every minute of it. Yeah, I was 13 minutes in. You had a just scroll yes, through yeah, on yeah. YouTube, that was me. Um, I'm going to ask Nick actually to do something, do this great honour. Would you bring up the splurge gun? Oh, That's yeah. okay. <laughs> Even though it doesn't work. It's not Nick, loaded, this, no? It's not the ones with the ear. Oh, 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 God. So this is the splurge gun. Thank you very much. It falls apart now, it's on your hands. I mean, it's pretty, real, I mean, it's pretty scarily realistic as well, isn't it? Alan, can you just tell us a little bit about the splurge Because obviously what you wanted to achieve originally didn't quite work out, did it? You know, this one is the one that came apart. But no longer, obviously. The problem um, it does is what I was warned. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Unintentionally. This yeah. was, yeah. <laughs> um, no, what, what I did, I drew it up as, a, as a, how it should be, and then it was meant to be fired by compressed air, and out of here would be, uh, would be uh, a ball of covered in wax, and inside that wax would be like custard cream, whatever, and that would give the, the impression of. Uh, of a, a splatter, a, a custard pie, but it. Uh, we, we did the first. Uh, we spent a lot of money on it. I have to say, uh, we had no money on the film, but a lot of money went on guns and cars. Guns and cars. <laughs> and uh, oh, uh, at Pinewood, there was a whole shed where this, these nutcase people were trying to make it work. And there was Alan Marshall, who was a producer, and Garth Thomas, who was a production manager. Oh. And then we fired it. Uh, to see if it would work, and so I fired it at them, and at them, and it hit them on the forehead and knocked them over. <laughs> and uh, and they had they walked around afterwards, both of them. They had a red mark here <laughs> for like at least six weeks afterwards. They had a red mark, and it was very obvious that we there's no way that you could fire at kids. So. <laughs> Then. Thank God. So the whole thing in the film is an illusion, really, because uh, it, 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 the, the compressed air fired ping pong balls, which I shot, and then you cut, and then it's editing, and then the, uh, the actual us, myself, and the prop men uh, would be throwing handfuls of cream uh, that splattered all over people's faces. That must have been incredibly satisfying. It is, no. There's a photograph outside of Jodie Foster being hit by the pie, which was, uh, which was a, a great success by me. But it, it was, I don't, cannot tell you how many times we did that. Maybe 20, 30 times. And, and then finally we hit her, and that's when she goes, so this is show business. And it's like, but it was so, such a great thing to splatter all over the face. But, um, and presumably, because of the, um, the kind of mayhem in that scene at the end, I mean, it, it, it must be just one go. Well, well done. It does take. Anyway, yeah, this is, yeah, this but it was all, it was all one take, was it? Which? I mean, um, the, the big end fight scene with all the splurging. And, oh yeah. Because you know, yeah. presumably well, you couldn't recreate that afterwards. No, no, the wide shot is one take, but actually no, it's, it's three cameras, and it all happened uh, in in one go. Right. But it, uh, and then we picked up some stuff after that. But uh, basically, yeah, the whole set was brown. And in about three seconds, the whole set was white. <laughs> so it's like, there's no way that you can... There's no way, and I kept going, cut, cut, no way. No, they, they were having too much fun. So I'll put that down for you. I think was, you should, yeah. Was it, um, was it always planned that, that they would mime the songs and you'd have the adult voices? Was that how it was no, planned to I mean, be? No, uh, we didn't know what we were doing, really, basically. And uh, I asked Paul Williams to do the music, and he said, hey, do the music. And then he said he was going on... Uh, you know, on tour, and so we never got anything. So we really didn't know what to do, and I had to carry on casting, you know, so I thought, well, I'll just cast the best kids for the parts, and then we'll 
you know, would solve the music thing after, which without ever thinking about it, really. Because I never was casting kids to sing. Uh, I was casting them really just to be actors. And then uh, we would get these cassettes arriving from Philadelphia or wherever Paul Williams was. And, uh, and we, we had to rehearse. We had, you know, we had six weeks to rehearse at Pinewood. And uh, the kids would be given these things. We had little, you know, tape recorders actually very large tape recorders, which they had around their necks. And um, they would learn and their, 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 their songs, really. But they arrived and we had no control over it because I had no idea. I'd spent a lot of time with him uh, in writing the songs when he had, you know, he constructed them all, but I had no idea what was going to arrive because he was recording it and sending it over. And so we didn't, we had no idea what was going to... Uh, and so Jodie Foster's uh, song arrived, you know, My Name is Tallulah. And Jodie's voice, you know, Jodie talks like that. And, 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 and suddenly this song came, like, My Name is Tallulah. And, and Jodie said, are you serious? And, I, and so she did it, you know, and it's nothing like how she speaks in normal. Mm. Sounds but, uh, like Dexter from the way you were doing it there. Only, yeah. <laughs> only Bonnie is herself. Yes. <laughs> She's the it's only person who sings the whole thing. Yeah. But everyone else is, uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. And, it, and it's strange, you know, and it's like, uh, why would it work? And it ought not to work, to have it's basically adult voices. Um, you know, being lip-synced by kids, but uh, we had no choice. It was just how it arrived, and we didn't really know what we were doing. And it I remember, worked so well. Well, I remember when, when we did the final mix at Pinewood uh, of the film, I had, uh, the, the, it arrived with, with two tracks. There was the, the voices were on one track and the music was on another. We had no control over it. And then in, uh, like, I don't know how many years later, I did Pink Floyd The Wall in the same room, and uh, where we had three... 24 track machines <laughs> linked up and uh, the difference in how you, you know, the sophistication of how many tracks and everything. But in Bugsy we had two and, and actually there's it's, it's a great discipline about that because you have no choice yeah. anyway so you just mix it in as best you can. I'm going to try and get some questions from the audience at the moment. Before I do, I'm going to have another go at another kind of group, a group question if that's okay <laughs> to kind of move down or however you think. Um, and it's a kind of two-part question, really. First of all, I'm really interested in any memories you can think of about actually Alan as a director and your memories of him as a director at the time. He wore the same really clothes every day. Same clothes every day. <laughs> and obviously, haircuts were quite important. So, so first of all, um, about your know, memories of Alan, and secondly, obviously, Bugsy Malone is one of those films that has really kind of you know, lasted the test of time. Generation after generation reintroduced the film to their children. It kind of goes on. And just from your point of view, if there's anything you can think of as to why you know why it has lasted the test of time. Um, it's a difficult question to answer, you may not be able to, but do you want to have a go at either of those or both of those? I'm sure Donald will do both. Um, can we... <laughs> 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 can we... Do you get to go first? Yeah, you get, you're, you're, I, I, I get to go, go first. Why go first, yeah. I'm, I'm going to start, I'm gonna start at the end, actually. I'm going to start um, with Vivian, that's okay. Sorry, what was the question again? So <laughs> Alan, Alan as a director and the longevity of Bugsy Malone. I remember Alan always being really worried, and I know now, probably because you were worrying about where the next money was coming from but I remember him being worried um, a lot of the time maybe that's that's a that's a memory and, and as a sort of authority figure was he kind of like a teacher or was he quite quite stern or was he very playful or? Um, as a as a what as uh, well a I, I, he was like sort of the authority figure on set as the director so was um, he like kind of like a teacher or was he very playful and trying to get the you know how, how was he kind of as a director most on set? of the stuff that I did was actually choreographed by the chore choreographer so Alan had kind of little input in that if you like he was always standing around and he kind of let the choreographer do what she, she wanted to do um, he was kind of standing standing in the background most of the time letting that happened, so I don't have... I did I, Yeah, I remember some, some worry. I just, I mean, I just remember always feeling good about whenever being around Alan, I mean, as a child, it's, it was all obviously daunting. I mean, I wasn't really an actress. I was a dancer at the time, and I, I always remember feeling just good about being with, around Alan. He made you feel so comfortable. Mm. Um, you could have been nervous or anything, but he, he just made you feel fantastic. Mm. And that's something that you, you know, treasure as a performer. The you interesting can then, thing is that Vi Vivian did such a beautiful dance because Fizzy, who was meant to dance, oh, yeah. couldn't dance. And uh, I'd cast him, uh, his name was Alvin Humpty John Johnson. Yeah, I, didn't, I wasn't meant to have that part. And what happened was he lied and said he could dance. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so 
Salon had to um, come up with something on the film. So, and he, I think you spoke to the choreographer and they said, well, we'll put, do a solo. And then so Alan had to give me a couple of lines and I had to do them with Jodie Foster. And I remember trying to ask her to help me. But she didn't help me. <laughs> I just had to do it anyway. Um, and uh, so that, I was never meant to have that part in the film. Um, and, and then after I was given a name, so my actual character name in the film was Velma. But I started off as one of the dancers. I was just one of the chorus well, thank dancers. Thank heavens you did. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sarah, yeah. what about you? I remember uh, Sir Alan kept on getting told off by the chaperones for swearing in front of the children. <laughs> Something's never changed then. <laughs> um, apart from that, I remember having to crouch quite a lot because when we were doing two shots with Fat Sam, John Cassis down here, and I being quite tall was up here and they literally couldn't frame us together. So, unfortunately, I couldn't put John Cassisi on a box. <laughs> so, I do lots of crouching and hit the mark. And, you know, um, around the safe in the office, I seem to remember, we had to sort of, you know, you had to sort of walk on your knees and hit the mark at the same time, um, which wasn't so easy. Um, why the film has endured? You only have to watch it. It's the most brilliantly made adult film, but with children. The way it's shot, the way it's lit. Uh, watch the shadows, the train going past with the hat. The whole style of the things. If you look at books of gangster films from the 30s and 40s, as I did after the film, you'll, you'll note that a lot of the scenes are shot the same way. The lighting effects, even the way we relaxed in the office was choreographed by Alan, but we didn't know that at the time. Absolutely brilliant. Mm -hmm. Andrew. And my, well, it's funny, my, my memory of Alan was that he was very calm yeah. and very, very quietly spoken. Probably and, on pills. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> I think it'd have, it'd have to be. Can you imagine be, being in control of a, a film with how many kids were involved? What, there must have been Hundreds. a couple of hundred? I don't know. Can you imagine over, over a period of several months? I mean, <laughs> it wouldn't be enough to send you to a nut house. I mean, half of them probably had ADHD, but it wasn't, we didn't know about that then. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, my memory of it was always calm. Why is it, why is it, Still, still, still relevant and resonates with so many people because take away the fact that, I mean, like Sheridan says, take away the fact that it's a film cast with kids. It, the creative team just did a brilliant job. Mm, yep. it's, it, it's a great script. You've got the central performances from all the, the, the leads. It's fantastic. And you've got a brilliant score. So why would it not be successful? Not and on top of that, you've decided to cast everybody under the age of 17. Mm -hmm. So it, it's the, that, that whole chemistry is why it's, mm. why it's still the film it is. Mm. No, I'm finished. Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> My memories of Alan, I was um, frightened. Aww. It was very calm, and, um, but I could also sense sometimes that if something was going wrong, he would, I could sense his anger or disappointment, but he contained it. And we had to do a scene one day where he said the night before that we're going to do this scene where all, we're all getting changed. <laughs> What's that about? And we're looking at the 70s, that period of the 70s, where you would wear vests that were bright coloured vests and so on. So my mother put me in this sort of uh, orangey red vest. And so we're doing this scene that, and he wanted to shoot it right the way through. So we're all getting changed. And suddenly uh, I noticed that everyone stopped and they're staring at me and I'm wearing this bright, but and you dealt with that so beautifully because I was so embarrassed and ashamed. And, uh, but you dealt with it really, really well. I was a little bit kind of terrified of him, but I, and I wanted to please him as well. But I could also sense, uh, as you were saying, uh, Vivian, you understand now, obviously the tension of making something like that, and you have to raise the money. There was a lot of tension. There was a lot of tension. I could sense that because I, you know, I'm quite a sensitive character. What makes the film work? Well, first of all, I think you have to have a team that's all on the same train track. So if you've got an idea and a vision and you bring brilliant people together, if someone goes that way or that way or that way, it won't work. So everyone collectively worked together to be on that same train track. And as you were saying, the score as well 
is so beautiful. It's so be it's timeless. So you put those two together with brilliant casting and everyone on the, tr the same train track, it's a winner. Yeah. Yeah. I think the word is talent. Talent. <laughs> talent. And lack of ego. Mm. Yes. Yes. No, no, virtually no ego. Yeah, I mean, you can always tell when you're doing something when suddenly people go off and they want to, you know, the designer wants to do their thing yeah. and somebody yeah. else wants to do that. And, and I'm sure that's down to you, Alan, for being able to be this calm person mm. that said, that was firm, but kept everyone on those train tracks because mm. as soon as you start going in different directions, mm. then everything, you know, whatever you're doing at Snowballs, you've got to have that central uh, character that actually does bring everyone together. I remember Alan being delightful and, and great fun and, and just, I felt very safe. I mean, I wasn't actually, uh, contrary to public belief, I wasn't actually a precocious kid, as in I was not, no, I really wasn't. I wasn't the type of person. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for defending me. Thank you. Uh, no, I, I, I was very sort of professional, actually, and just would get on with my job and found it quite daunting that there wasn't particularly any script, but felt very safe in Alan's hands to say, just go with this, say all this stuff, do that. Yeah, I want more, I want more, I want more. And, then, and it, it gave you permission yeah. and courage. He gave you permission and courage, and you always felt that if you did do something wrong, he wouldn't turn around and shame you or mock you. Mm. He would turn around and go, that's very funny. Because, you know, you were in an environment with kids, and I remember once, uh, I think he said, to, you wanted me to say something about, will you stop humiliating me? And I said, will you stop humiliating me? Or something. <laughs> and everyone laughed, and I was like, ooh. And he was like, oh, that's so lovely. Let's do it again, shall we? You know, and it was just fine, <laughs> and it was fun, and there wasn't a problem. And it was, it was all very, it was a very safe, mm. uh, comfortable and supportive environment um, and I think that's why the film works too I think that's what comes through and also I think that uh, as in many um, sort of parodies sometimes when you see things through the innocence of a child's eye it actually says something much more poignant mm. and in many respects there's quite a serious line going through the film yeah. but it's not being hammered home <coughs> it's just if you want to see it you can see it and it's not done with any kind of um, uh, pronouncement or uh, sort of judgment. It's just put there for you to enjoy and to see on many different levels. Um, and that's, I think, why it works too. Mm. What about you, Paul? Um, for me, I mean, Alan, he, we just had fun. Yeah. Mm. I had so much fun with him because, you know, we'd laugh about things and it, it, it felt like we was, you know, one involved in a film. You know, we were doing things there, and I would just—I thought I'd have a laugh and a joke with him nearly all the time. But there was work to be done, and then seeing a part that uh, I kind of did by accident, and um, was messing around in the Huntley and Palmer's um, biscuit. biscuit factory, and I picked up the straw and put it on my hand oh, yeah, and pretended my name is in. And it says, right, that's in. <laughs> <laughs> and I pleaded, no, 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 it's in, it's in. <laughs> and then when you think to yourself, um, years to you know, years have gone by, two things. One is, so you want to be a boxer? And the other one is, my name is Zoom. <laughs> you don't get to live them down. One sort of, yeah, yeah. And that was hard. <laughs> you know, um, the longevity of the film is, it's, it's young people. Young people um, pretending to be adults. And if you think about it, the mature ones of us, when you see little children, they'll put on their mum's shoes, put on their mum's hat or whatever, and daddy's coat, and they pretend that they're adults around the house. And you think to yourself, hang on, they want to be grown up before their time, but this film allows you to see what young people can do. And then as adults as we are now, you've got to think to yourself, there's a, you know, a few people in here that would have been children then, adults now. So it, it goes full circle. Mm -hmm. It goes full circle. And I think if you see that for the first time, you look and you think to yourself, I don't think you look and see that they're children. Mm -hmm. You look and see that there's people, they're dressed up as adults, um, playing parts of something from the 1930s, and you think, afterwards, somebody says, oh, do you know they're all children? What? Yeah. They're all children. And I think that is a part of that longevity that will be for 
generations and generations mm. to come. Dexter, what about you? He was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell the truth. That's he why you so became a director. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Power crazed maniac he was. Yeah. What a role model. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He beat us with Followed sticks and he shouted, and you get it right, work harder, you little yeah. sods. And you've, <laughs> and you've directed. Terrible man. Three months in the naughty cage. Yeah, yeah. the naughty yeah. cage is right. <laughs> Dangle it over the canal if you're really bad. And Dexter, is that God. something that you picked up when you've been yeah, directing pictures? Yeah, that's how I treat my yeah. actors. Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, no, I couldn't cope with Paul. It, I just remember it being a lot of fun. I mean, I was only there a few days uh, as well. But Stole I, the movie, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I had a good introduction. This is my thing. I had a very good introduction. By the time it gets to Babyface, like, it's gone on so long. Who would have wanted that baby? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but uh, it was, and, you, and I remember you said to me, say, say this line now, look, and, look down the camera. And I, but I think that is something that I, I do try to retain as a director. Is one thing is that, that there was an immediacy about Alan. He was there in that moment with us that allowed him to say, say this, do that, sing me this yeah, song, yeah. do give me that moment, improvise that bit with the, that's in the film, you know. And, and that is something that really is kind of engaging and fresh about the film and and what you know look everyone's spoken so elo eloquently about what's enduring about the film and i'm sitting here thinking about it i think you know we all sort of feel like we, do you ever feel any different do i feel really different from how i did when i was nine years old mm. yeah sure i'm grown up but i know inside i'm still a kid and maybe mm. just all these people are just seeing the the people for who they really are you know you know in the film they're seeing the child in every one of us that's mm -hmm. still there, that we know is still there. We all get older, but in Bugsy, in that world, we all just see, they all just still see the child that's there yep. in front no. of them, and that Alan, person. How, how do you feel having heard what you've just heard now? God, I don't know what to say. Really. <laughs> Shocked. Um, I think, you know, we were all, I was kind of green, and, uh, but I was quite obsessed by what the movie I wanted to make. And I was, kind of strict with all of them. They've not said it, really. Because, uh, you know, you, if you're directing kids on any film set, you have to create an environment where they're going to be of their best. So you want to be their best friend sometimes. You want to be a very strict school teacher sometimes. Mostly you want them to, to not be afraid. And I, I think that I did that. Mm -hmm. But I think that, uh, which is to allow them to be of their best, because I don't do the performance, all of them did it. And by them being good, then I look good. But it was basically, it was actually creating an environment. It was, and I have to say, it, it has been touched upon, you know, all actors in any movie, doesn't matter what it is, for them to be of their best, whether it be young children or who have, have kind of not been doing it too much, or whatever, they rely on the professionalism of the film crew. And the film crew, film crews make movies. Mm. And the professionalism of the set was down to the cinematographer and the camera operator and all the people involved. So that they were, didn't even think about it. Mm. These, all these people doing their job. Mm. And so that they could actually express themselves and be as good as they are. But actually it's to do with the professionalism of the film crew mm. that allows them that to happen. And obviously, Film crews never ever get the credit that they're due, yeah. but uh, they're the, by and far the most important part of any film. Mm. Is how it's very them. fitting that we should be at BAFTA and yeah. know, sort of talking about that kind of excellence on set as well. So that's uh, very yeah. appropriate. Um, we've just got time for a quick few questions. Oh, yeah, okay, well, so we'll do you and then you on the same row. Um, thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to ask about the cars. I mean, what were the challenges in trying to create those, and um, what was the budget of? The was the car budget? Oh God, yeah. Well, the car, the car budget was the same as the the, the, gun, the budget. gun budget, and with equal success, actually. Um, they kind of worked all right on the flat, but when we put them into the sets, they didn't quite. So, if you look at the film, every single scene that involves the the you know you see you see the the, the driver of the car going like that which is all nonsense because that's total illusion because they never really worked as bikes. We thought it'd be really good if we... Would. The big plan was that Pinewood would, would, after Bugsy, would become a huge big Disneyland. Mm -hmm. And uh, for some reason it didn't happen. But uh, 
So, the folks all over the West End in the middle. Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but if you look at the film, behind every scene, you can just see a couple of legs. <laughs> because every uh, scene with the, involves the, the bikes and hands, as we called them, uh, were being pushed by you know, anybody who, who, who turned up that day, most of the pr producer. Yeah. The next question is there. Thank you. I'm embarrassed to say it's the first time I've seen the film and I'm 48, but what a place to see it <laughs> for the first time. Uh, so my specific question is, a lot of the props look very original. The furniture looked original and the, and the telephones, etc. Were you worried about them being ruined by the cream? Oh, not really, yeah. I mean, the thing was... Uh, it was quite well controlled. The, the thing is that uh, the uh, the cream thing, it was, you know, originally it was just, I was trying to f uh, find a way to be able to recreate a custard pie, really. And so that's why the guns and all the, you know, the whipped cream. We got through like so much whipped cream in the end. Um, and uh, no, it was never really a problem, actually. It was only a problem at the very end, in that, the end sequence, which we've discussed, where everything, including the film crew, were completely covered in whipped cream. <laughs> so, but uh, mostly not, no. It, they were just props from Pinewood, you know. They've they got plenty of others. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got a question just on the aisle over there. Uh, Sir Alan, you created um, very adult performances from, from child actors. I just wonder, do you have a, did you have a strategy or a particular approach for that? Because children will be children. And for the cast, did you, did, you, did you struggle with that at times, trying to kind of create a very authentic adult performance? No, it's a very good question. And I think that uh, I come back to, you know, I was quite naive, really, as a director. I didn't really think about it as... Uh, I just talked to them as if they were adult actors mm. and I expected only adult performances. Mm. I didn't really ever at any single point think, oh, it's okay because they're only kids. Never ever did I say that. Mm. I always wanted them to be really cool and really good and deliver your line exactly as it should be. And if the intonation on the line is wrong, we'll do it again. Mm. And the fact that you did it in a rather childish <laughs> way, wrong. We're going to do it better. And, uh, yeah, we, we knew we were playing adults as well. We, we, we didn't think we were playing kids, no, did we? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure Sir Alan would agree that, that there was quite a long process of casting. So, you know, you by, the time, by the time you got to be on that set, you'd, he'd had the pick of, of who he wanted and he knew that those kids could do it. You know, that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that would have been the case, would it not? The well, I think that's, yeah. that's true of all kids. I, th I work with many directors for theatre as well. and, and if uh, uh, one particular director, Arthur Lawrence, used to call us the small adults, and we were included in everything. And I think as soon as you start um, taking kids out of the company and out of the the process and the production, you then they then start to behave differently. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you include them in the whole production and you 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 ex you make them aware of the expectations, you accommodate them, you make them feel safe, but you also know what they're intended to, what, what's um, uh, expected of them, they will always rise to that. You will, and if anybody talks down to anybody, but especially to small people, just because they're small doesn't mean to say that they're any less intelligent. They just might not have had the same experiences that we've all had. So it always brings out the best in people when you talk to them on, on a level that's, that's um, respectful, actually. And that's yeah. what Alan was, respectful. Okay. Hello. <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask you, watching this film again, um, I've seen it before um, in modern time, and me as a young person, I just was reflecting on how amazing diversity is in that film. And I was thinking how far ahead of its time it was being made in the 70s, and I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Every race and everything yeah. was in that film. The kitchen sink, wasn't it? No, I had. It was, yeah, <laughs> I never thought of that. Who plays That's the kitchen That's a really good sink? point. Yeah. The interesting thing is, it's, it's the most performed school play in this country because there is a part for everyone. And a multicultural society which we live in, that's really amazing for me. And it's, uh, I didn't think about it at the time. I was actually doing a film, my story, original story was set, you know, in America, in New York, and therefore there had to be the black boxer, there had to be the black dancer, there had to be the Italian-American 
guy who, and, but when they do the play, the interesting thing is that uh, on all school plays, not, and it's actually on stage at the moment, the lyric, quite wonderful uh, version of the lyric, which is even more colorblind with regards to its casting, which makes me look at it and think, God, I didn't know that I was writing all those parts for all those kids, mm. for everybody, there's a part. Whether you've got a speech impediment or whether you're Chinese, <laughs> there's a part for you. And so, and if you can dance, if you can sing. When did that, you get the idea? Mm. When did you, when and where did you get the idea? The idea came out of desperation. <laughs> uh, I've written a lot of English stories uh, set in London where I grew up, grew up and they kept coming back with this rubber stamp on it saying, too parochial, too parochial. So I thought I'd write an American story and uh, the, I hadn't even visited the United States at that time. And so I wrote about what I knew about America, which was movies. So American movies, musicals, gangster films, put them together. The story came out of that little rag bag of films that I'd seen when I was growing up in Islington, North London. And then the, the key thing was to, uh, to make it with kids. And why, I don't know. <laughs> and it's like, I'll give the credit to my oldest son who says, I don't remember saying that. <laughs> but, uh, so I won't give him the credit anymore. <laughs> I mean, you just touched on the fact that Lyric Hammersmith are playing it at the moment until September, they and they played it last year as well. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, it's wonderful. I, I say it's wonderful because every time it's been on stage, it's been horrible. That's what I was going to ask you. Why, it's been, is, it, it's been why is it taking so long? Well, because, uh, you know, the reason it succeeds as a school play is because all the all these different kids have a great, wonderful part. And if you're a mum or a dad, it's great to see your kid do it. And you don't really care if it's good or bad. And so whenever they put it on stage before, it's always been a very glitzy school play. And they never, ever could be as good as the movie. And the movie is something else. And so I watch something that's not as good as my movie, and I go, well, I don't really want to watch this because it's not as good. At the lyric, they took it to a totally different place. They came came at it from a different point of view, which is a theatrical point of view. It's differently choreographed and it's differently cast and it's, uh, it's just a theatrical experience. And, uh, and for someone who's been very jaded and never ever liked it on stage, I mean, the last time was the National Youth Music, uh, whatever they're called. Yeah. yeah, they did it. And, uh, I, I, uh, and I, about 10 years ago this was, and uh, I snuck out. I, I, went with, I, went with my, I went with my granddaughter and I said to her, I'm going to the pub next door and uh, I'll meet you afterwards. So I snuck out at, at uh, the interval and, there's a, and it was in, in the uh, Shaftesbury Avenue, one of those theatres, and as I was going up the stairs, the director was coming down. <laughs> there, and so and as I, I carried on walking, I didn't know what to do. So he said, so what do you think? And I said, uh, crap. And, and, <laughs> And I carried on. But, after, but at the lyric, I, if anyone's interested in Bugsy Malone, I'd take, take your kids, it's brilliant. Okay, we've got one went, final... Sorry. Oh, sorry, go on. I went to see it and um, I was sort of like, kind of sitting by myself and I thought to myself, okay, right. And then when the character came on, I wasn't sure who they were. The person who played myself was about six foot one, <laughs> you know, and then Bugsy was like 4'11", or just about five foot, so it was all this, I was like, okay, they're taking it to another level, yeah. it's fine, it's fine, no, you, no, I was, it was... They've got three casts, haven't they? They've got three casts yeah. who rotate, you know, so was, you get a different... Yeah, but, you know. yeah, Leroy is always six foot. Oh, okay, yeah. is that right? Yeah, and it, it, it got to me, but I thought, you know what, they made it their own. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's still got the flavour mm -hmm. of... Of, of Bugsy the interesting thing about the lyric, I have to say this, is because these two won't ever say it, is that uh, that Bonnie's part and mm. Dexter's part yeah. are played by the same character, probably not entirely successfully. You've not seen it. Have you no. seen it? But I went up the night. I, I went one night and, and I saw Bonnie, and she said, "They combined our parts." <laughs> How dare they? You know. Oh my God! Yes. Okay, we have got one final question, which is over. Begin the combo. Begin the combo. Hi. Uh, I was just wondering, um, how did the actors cope with the accents, and um, did you have a dialect coach on the film? I don't think so. <laughs> no, we did not. No. 
Well, in my case, I didn't. I think uh, yeah. I, I really struggled with the accent. In fact, I think that's probably the reason why half my stuff ended up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, uh, I, yeah, no I, did. I, I failed miserably, but there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've just come back from America. I'd been in a show over there, so I was really pleased. <laughs> I felt good about it because I could uh, kind of pull on that. I was in a show called Gypsy with Angela Lansbury, so I had uh, I was able to bring that back. It was great. I enjoyed it. Anyone else? I hope I come across as American. My father was American. <laughs> so uh, I, I remember auditioning for the part. I got it and I did it. So I only hope it comes across. And there were Americans in the show. Yeah. 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 Film, there? So A lot of Americans. Yes. It kind of more, it morphs, yeah. doesn't yeah. it? You hear it. More Americans than you think. More, yeah, more yeah, Americans yeah. than Brits. Lots from local um, yeah. American Air Force bases. Yeah. In the film, there were a hell of a lot of Americans. Yeah. So we were around Americans all the time. Yeah. So it's easy. We were all just really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I remember right, Dexter went off to do press gang with an American accent, didn't you? Yeah, not as good, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm far better in Bugs and Malone than I am in that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am sad to say that our time is up, and it has been so fantastic to celebrate the 40th birthday of Bugsy Malone and to have so many of the cast here giving up their time. I um, just want to say uh, the BAFTA exhibition is going on over the summer. There's going to be three days, the 5th, 6th and 7th of August, when they're going to kind of recreate Fat Sam's Grand Slam downstairs in the David Lean room, as uh, Rebecca was saying before. That's happening in August. Um, but uh, I just want to say a big thank you to Lord uh, David Putnam, who was here at the start, Rebecca Polding and Jane Holford uh, from BAFTA, who put together tonight and the uh, exhibition. Uh, huge thank you to Lisa Moran Parker for all her help in everything to do with the archive and the exhibition. But a massive, you know, astronomical thank you to all of our fantastic guys who are here. We've got Nick and Graham on the front row. And then... And then we've got, we've got Vivian, Sheridan, Andrew, Donald, Bonnie, Paul, Dexter, and of course, Sir Alan Parker. Thanks for listening to this BAFTA Heritage Podcast. To hear more from this series, you can subscribe using a podcast app or go to bafta.org forward slash heritage.